number of years ago, I watched a crazy documentary called The King of Kong. Some of you may have seen it. It's not King Kong, The King of Kong. And uh, the premise of this documentary, it centers around two men, one of them by the name of Steve Wiebe. And uh, Steve Wiebe is a 30-something teacher who loses his job. And uh, instead of going to get another job, what he decides to do is buy himself a Donkey Kong cabinet and try to beat the Donkey Kong world record of over a million points. So here's Steve Wiebe with his Donkey Kong cabinet. So uh, he spends hours every day, I mean like a full-time job, playing Donkey Kong and trying to beat the record. Now, uh, he finally gets to a place where he believes he's beaten the world record, uh, but the world record is held by this guy, Billy Mitchell. And uh, I know, he looks like a guy who would hold the world record in Donkey Kong. So, uh, so he beats the record, and, and uh, Billy Mitchell doesn't accept it and launches an investigation into Steve Wiebe's tactics as he, as he uh, uh, played Donkey Kong. So Steve Wiebe then challenges Billy Mitchell to, a, to an in-person, one-on-one Donkey Kong duel to see who's actually the best. But Billy Mitchell refuses, and he sends in a tape of him beating Steve Wiebe's score, right? And so on and on and on it goes. It's an amazing, entertaining story. And yet, as I watched it, I could not help think, what sort of value system drives two grown men to invest their lives in this? Now, don't get me wrong. I enjoy the occasional video game. It's not like it's a whole lot worse than any other form of entertainment. But I, but I had to pause and go, what is the value system that drives two grown men to say this right here, Donkey Kong, is the central mission of my life. Now, we may laugh at men who make Donkey Kong the center of their lives, but let me ask you this question. Have you ever paused to ask what is the central purpose or mission of your life? This morning, if we were to look at at your value system, if we were to look at your calendar, if we were to look at the things you think about most often, if we were to look at your bank account, if we were to get a sense of what you're passionate about when you talk about it, what would it be? It might be you say, I just want to get to a place where I've got enough money that I can pursue my hobbies full-time, whatever, whatever those hobbies may be, supporting Aggie football or, or going uh, hunting or whatever it may be. You say, I want to get to a place where I don't have to work. I can pursue those hobbies full-time. Or maybe you say, my driving purpose in life is that my kids are successful, that they grow up and they go to the right school, which is Texas A&M, and then after they go to the right school, they get the right job, right? And so they succeed in life. So everything I do, my money, my time, my affections, is, is centered on my kids being successful, particularly as this world defines success, a good job, enough money, a stable family, all those things. Maybe it's building a business. Maybe it's a, it's a career. Maybe it's prestige. Whatever it is, you have some set of values, some driving mission that fuels your life. What is it? Well, you've noticed by now that this is, this is our Go Missions Week, and so uh, we're taking a break from the book of Romans, and we're going to talk about world missions and what God is doing around the world to draw men and women to know Jesus from every tribe, tongue, 
people and nation. And the reason I'm talking about values and purpose is because when we talk about world missions, we're really talking about something that is, is at the heart of what ought to be the purpose of every Christian's life, right? That, that world missions is not this sort of separate side project only for the super spiritual among us who decide they're going to spend their lives overseas, but actually that, that world missions is at the very heart of God's purpose for our lives and his purpose for our church. If you've been here very long, you know that our church's mission statement is, is this, we help people find and follow Jesus. That's rooted, of course, in the Great Commission of Matthew 28, which we'll look at in just a couple of minutes. We help people find and follow Jesus. That is our mission as the people of God, and that means every single one of us in some way ought to be contributing to this mission. And what's really significant is that when Jesus commissioned his disciples to make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, to go out into the world and help people find and follow Jesus. Jesus said, I want you to do that not only here where you live, not only in your neighborhoods, but all around the world. He said, I want you to make disciples of all the nations so that all the nations will know what Jesus taught, so that all the nations will know who Jesus is, so that all the nations will know that there is no other way of salvation apart from Jesus Christ. And so Jesus commissioned his people to go into the world and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That ought to be the driving purpose of our lives, that I say wherever I live, wherever I work, wherever I play, I'm going to help people find and follow Jesus, and then I want to participate as a church and as an individual in this great mission of God helping people to know him all around the world. That ought to drive and so briefly this morning, I want to answer two questions then about missions. One, why should we participate? And then two, how can we participate? Why should we participate and how can we participate? And I want to start here with the, with the why. And I think this is a really important question. I don't, I don't know if any of you are familiar with a man named William Carey. William Carey is known as the father of modern missions. He was a, a British missionary who left England to go to India in 1793, one of the first missionaries from the Western world uh, into an area that we would now call unreached, where people didn't know the gospel. But when William Carey came to his denominational leaders and he said, I want to raise support to go to India to share the gospel among people who don't yet know Jesus, one of those denominational leaders looked at William Carey and they said, young man, Sit down. When God desires to convert the heathen, he will do it without your aid or mine. In other words, God doesn't need you, so there's no reason to go. Sit down. You know, and I thought, that's an extreme view on the one hand. But on the other hand, it is true that, that God, if he wanted to, he could just write in the clouds for everybody to see, Jesus is Lord, believe in him for eternal life. And yet, and yet, as we read the scriptures, there is a clear call for God's people to be involved in this work of evangelizing the nations. Let me, let me show you biblically why you and I should participate. 
why each of us should be a part of this mission. First of all, because the commission of Jesus is clear. It's clear and binding on the followers of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 28. The last words Jesus says before he ascends into heaven. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In other words, I'm telling you what to do. All the authority is given to me, so you are bound to obey. Jesus is Lord, right? So he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, in light of the fact that Jesus is in charge, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What's the end of the age? When Jesus comes back. So Jesus says, disciples, I want you to go around to all the nations and make disciples. I want, them to, I want you to teach them what I've commanded. I want you to baptize them so they belong to the people of God, so they believe in Jesus. And he says, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, this is a command that is binding on the people of God until Jesus comes back. And Jesus will be with us through the power of the Holy Spirit in this task. So it's a really clear commission given by Jesus who's in charge. Think about it this way. Uh, a lot of you in this room, you're parents. If you're not a parent, you've been a child at some point. Right? If you're a parent, the odds are that you give your kids some type of command to obey, right, on a regular basis. So, so you may want them to take out the trash or feed the dog or, or, or do their homework, whatever it may be. And, and what you may have noticed is that, that children are really good at finding ways to get out of those commands. So, for example, it may be if you're, if you're sitting in the living room, if you try to say something, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, you try to say something private in a voice that you think they won't hear, all of a sudden they appear. But in that same living room, you can sit in the living room and shout their name to go and do a chore. Daughter, son. And finally you go find them. They go, I, I, don't, I couldn't hear you. Right? They can ignore. They can argue. They can try to weasel out. Right? And yet in the final analysis, you say, I have authority. All authority in this living room and your bedroom has been given to me. Therefore, therefore. When I issue a command, the command is clear, I expect obedience. If Jesus is Lord of the universe, we dare not ignore, suppress, argue with, or deny this command to make disciples of all the nations. The commission is clear. You are meant to be a part, I am meant to be a part. And that is partly because ever since the beginning, God has had a plan that men and women from every nation, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, would come eventually to worship before his throne, to know him, and to be saved. Even all the way back to his covenant to Abraham in Genesis 12. He says, Abraham, I'm going to make you, that is the, the nation of Israel, I'm going to make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. In other words, he says, Abraham, your descendants, the people of Israel, they are going to be a blessed people. But then he goes, here's the why. In you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Israel is set apart by God to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. 
And as we move throughout the prophetic books, then we see passages like this in Isaiah. Now it will come about that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills. And all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, right? Let us all go to worship God in Jerusalem, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths. That God has always had this plan that men and women from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation would serve him. And so Jesus says, disciples, now that you know how salvation is attained, Because Jesus died and Jesus rose and all who believe in Jesus can have eternal life. Jesus says, now I want you to go out into the world and make disciples of all the nations so that all the nations can know. Now, God could have written in the clouds and drawn people to himself, but he chose to use us because he wants us to have the privilege of partnering with him in this work. So the commission is clear. If we are not giving or going or praying or supporting in some way, we are disobedient to the command of Jesus Christ. The commission is clear. All of us play a part, whether you go or stay and support and pray and give. The commission is clear. Secondly, the the need is great. The world's need is great. Many of you are familiar with Acts 4 12. Acts 4.12 says there is salvation in no one else. This is Peter talking to the religious leaders of his day. And he says, I want you to understand there's salvation in no one else but Jesus. Peter is, I think, riffing on Jesus who said in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Right, and so, so Peter now, after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, he goes, I want to remind everyone there's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other way. Every person must believe in Jesus to receive salvation, to receive eternal life. And yet, and yet, here, here's where the need is great. There are places in the world where people don't have access to the gospel. Uh, One of the uh, missionaries, one of the goers that I talked to not long ago said, you know, um, whenever somebody goes overseas, they face this question from, from family members and often from friends. They say, well, why can't you just stay here and share the gospel with the people next door to you? There's a lot of people in your town who don't know Jesus. And that is true. But what they often miss is that there are places in the world where it's not just that people don't know Jesus. It's that if they wanted to know Jesus, they don't have access to a church. They don't even have access often to a Christian. Few statistics. 42% of the world's population are unreached people groups. What's an unreached people group? It's a place where if somebody really wants to hear about Jesus, they would struggle to hear about him. Fewer than 2% of these people groups are evangelical or born-again Christians who could share the gospel with them. 42% of the people of the world live among such groups where there's not a church on the corner. There's not a Christian next door. Right, so, so if you're here in College Station, and let's just say hypothetically that tomorrow Grace Creek side is gone. 
Well, there's still a lot of other churches you could go to, right? There's Central and there's First Baptist, there's Declaration, Restoration, and and all of these churches you could go to to hear the gospel. There's many places in the world where that's not true. 42%, that means 3.4 billion with a B, billion people have little or no access to the gospel of Jesus. This is why the need is great. Here's just a map of where most of the unreached people groups in the world are today. It's the red areas. A lot of them in the Southeast Asia area, which is the primary area that we support as a church. You can see certainly many in the country of India, many in North Africa. So let me just give you one example really quickly. Uh, If you look at the North African country of Tunisia, country of about 12 million people, There are estimated about 3,500 to 3,600 evangelical Christians in that country. 3,500 in a country of 12 million. Imagine uh, if you do the proportions the same. That in a a city the size or a community the size of Bryan College Station, about 250,000 people. Imagine that there were about 75 Christians in this entire community. 75 Christians. Maybe they're scattered, maybe they gathered together, but if somebody wants to know Jesus in a, in a community of 250,000, is 75 people sufficient to spread the word? Probably not. In a community of 12 million, is 3,600 sufficient? Well, God can do anything, but they need more workers. There, there needs to be more access. So the need is great. This is why we participate. Christ's commission is clear, the world's need is great. And then thirdly, this mission's results are eternal. They last forever. If you were with us in the book of Revelation last fall, uh, you remember this, this beautiful song that some of the angels and living creatures and elders sing in the presence of God in Revelation 9. They sang a new song and they said, worthy are you. They're singing to Jesus. They say, Jesus, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. Why? For you were slain, and you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. They sing, Jesus, praise your name. Why? Because with your death and resurrection, you bought people from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. So that what God is doing is he is creating a multinational, multi-ethnic kingdom of worshipers to gather before his throne and worship him for eternity and to reign alongside Jesus forever and ever and ever. That is the eternal mission. So if you want to invest your life in something that will last, it's not Donkey Kong. It's not your hobbies. It's not even the success of your children or your business. It's the name of Jesus. It's the gospel of Jesus around the world. Uh, Some of you may know the name Adoniram Judson. Some of you will not know that name. One of my favorite missionary biographies, it's called To the Golden Shore by Courtney Anderson. Uh, It's about the life of Adoniram Judson. Adoniram Judson was one of the, if not the, very first American missionaries. Uh, He left to go to Burma, which is now Myanmar. He left in 1812. 
one of the very first missionaries. He was born uh, to a prominent minister's home in Boston. And uh, back in that day, being a, being a minister uh, in New England, it was, it was a fairly prestigious job. He was expected to grow up and be a prominent minister. He was smart. He was at the top of his class. He was energetic. But the Lord moved in his life to say, I want you to do something that nobody's really doing, which is go to this place where people don't know Jesus, to the country of Burma, translate the scriptures, and share the gospel. His parents were bitterly disappointed that Adoniram Judson decided to waste his life in Burma. But he went and he followed God's call. In the first 10 years, he only saw 10 converts. 10 converts in 10 years. But he steadily translated the scriptures. Over the time that he was there, almost 40 years, he he saw two wives die to disease. Five children die to disease. He was imprisoned. He suffered depression severely. He died at the age of 61 in 1850. When he died, there were about 100 churches across Burma with about 8,000 believers. Today, there are two and a half million Baptist believers in the country of Myanmar. Almost all of them can be traced to the work of Adoniram Judson 200 years ago. Did he waste his life or did he invest his life? He knew that the mission is eternal because the gospel is eternal. If Jesus died and Jesus rose again to bring us eternal life, then it's worth investing in. So that's why we participate. The commission is clear. The need is great. The mission is eternal.